Welcome to Occult of Personality, esoteric podcast extraordinaire. I'm your host, Greg Kaminsky. In episode number 212, we have a very special guest, my new co-host, Billy Hepper. Billy is a Freemason and lecturer on Masonic topics who hails from Vancouver, British Columbia. He's been a longtime listener and supporter of the podcast. He also has skills in digital audio, and we share a love of specific esoteric studies like Freemasonry, the Grail Mythos, spiritual contemplation, and tradition. And it's been a few years since Rudolph and I parted ways, and I have to admit that doing the podcast with a partner is a lot more fun. So thankfully, Billy has agreed to join me here, and we're looking to make the podcast fresher, more energetic and fun by doing what we do best. So you can expect more excellent audio interviews with authors and experts in occultism and esotericism. But in this episode, I welcome Billy and we talk about our shared interests. After the interview, stay tuned for an important message about our new Meditations on the Tarot Study Circle. Occult of Personality podcast is made possible by you, the listeners, and by the subscribers to chamberofreflection.com, our membership site, who aids us in the cause of informed, authentic, and accessible interviews about Western esotericism. Thank you again. Because of your support, we're able to bring you recordings of this caliber and many more to come. Anathema Publishing Limited. Quality occult books and contemporary esoterica. Established in 2011, Anathema Publishing aims to provide superior literature in content and form by creating a trinosophic relationship in troth and gabo between publisher, author, and reader. Anathema Publishing produces refined books for the true bibliophile on topics ranging from Gnosticism traditional craft, alchemy, hermeticism, witchcraft, to Luciferian theosophy. www.anathemapublishing.com The intro music is Awakening by Paul Avgerinos, and the outro music is Crypt of the Black Virgin by our own Billy Hepper. So... This is a very uh, special and extraordinary, in many ways, recording for the Cult of Personality podcast. And uh, I'm really excited about it because I am overjoyed, really, to be able to introduce my new co-host to the podcast. Billy Hepper. Billy. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, It's really a pleasure to speak with you on the podcast for the first time and introduce you. And thank you so much for being here and agreeing to do this. Thanks so much, Greg. It's great to be here finally. And thanks very much for having me. It's great to be on the receiving end of that introduction finally. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, maybe you could um, take just a moment to introduce yourself to the listeners in terms of you know, who you are and and what your interests are and maybe some things that you're pursuing in terms of the, uh, the esoteric. For sure. Yeah. So hello to all the listeners. Um, my name is William and I hail from the West coast of Canada. I live up in the beautiful province of British Columbia. Um, I've been a long time listener and a fan of occult personality since right around the early days. And I guess I've always just been so impressed by the the quality and the the range of the topics on the show over the years. I always look forward to every episode, and I really feel like I I kind of grew up listening to the show in the way I've been following it closely since the the real early days. Um, so it's great to be here. Just by way of an introduction, um, the things I do. I am a proud Freemason. I've been a member of the Masonic fraternity for about ten years now. And I'm also a member of several appendant bodies of masonry, um, past district education officer and that sort of thing. So 
Um, I am a lecturer as well. I travel around and, and give talks mostly on esoteric and historical themes um, in lodges in my area. Um, just some further background, I have been assisting Greg a little bit behind the scenes on the podcast just quietly in the last little while now with some of the audio editing work, and I've got a bit of a background in recording arts. So it's just been a real pleasure to to help out on the behind the scenes work on the podcast. So it's been great getting involved and hopefully taking some of the pressure off your shoulders, Greg. And the show has just been growing kind of exponentially over the years. So I'm happy to to be here to provide some backup. Yeah. And I'm again, really grateful and happy to, to have you here. Um, it was a bit of a struggle, I think for me, uh, once Rudolph uh, departed, um, he has his own podcast, of course, Thoth Hermes podcast, which is excellent. I must say, um, I always love it. And, um, but he, he really uh, did a lot of work and, um, but it was, it wasn't so much what he contributed in terms of the audio work or the scheduling of guests or, different communication that he helped craft, but it was really just having somebody else to sort of share this journey with because, um, while I, I do enjoy it, uh, regardless, um, it felt, I, it felt so much more meaningful and rewarding to have like another person mm. like with me, doing the things and being in on all the interviews and mm -hmm. there was a sense of companionship. And, you know, I think, I think I really learned to enjoy that and cultivate that and even love that. And so, um, it was clear going forward that, you know, I missed that aspect. And then, the work itself is gets kind of overwhelming in terms of the the editing of the audio, the research on every interview, and then different communications, and so it really felt like there was no reason not to do it, not to have somebody else. And you seemed like a, a really worthy person for that role, which is why I had asked you to do it. And um, I think a lot of that had to do with, again, your interest in the podcast, what you do in terms of Freemasonry, but also I think some of your other interests or opinions or things and we seem to have similar thoughts about things yeah. um so anyway that that's sort of my side of of why i felt compelled to bring you on board and i'm really again grateful for that that's great i, I appreciate those sentiments and you know definitely big shoes to fill with with rudolph but you know i, I think this is going to be a great learning experience and just being able to bounce ideas off each other is, is going to be great. So I'm really looking forward to it. For sure. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's going to be a learning experience for me too, certainly. One thing uh, I wanted to ask you about, because I don't think this is in any way um, controversial or would be surprising to necessarily is um, we share an interest in this um, quest for the Holy Grail, the, the cycle of tales that sort of revolve around this theme of the, uh, you know, King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table and the quest and, uh, and I don't know many people who have like a deep interest in that subject. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
those grail stories are once you've been bitten by that that bug, you know that's something that just kind of pulls you in. I, I find, um, and, and like you said, it's kind of a rare thing to meet somebody who's who's uh, attracted to it in that same kind of pull. I always feel like I've had this kind of calling or this pull towards those that whole mythos. Um, it's difficult to put into words, but I always feel like these tales kind of reached out to me in a way. Um, from a very young age, I mean, they, they really made a huge impression on me in this kind of mystical way. And that seems to be this kind of common thread with many people who study the Arthurian legends. It's this kind of thing that stays with you for life. Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, actually, that you mentioned that. I, I recently got my DNA analyzed through through Ancestry, and it confirms that I hail from very... Uh, Northern European, Celtic, kind of French, Germanic origin. So kind of puts me in the right time and place to, to make these legends part of my, my ancestral heritage, really. I think it's really in my blood. And, and, and there's something to that, I think. You know, I've always thought about these stories as kind of occupying this sort of nether world, this sort of dream realm that we kind of catch glimpses through. And it occupies this kind of intersection in a way between you know the celtic pre-christian world and these strange sort of catholic mysteries and and i just find that really endlessly fascinating you know it's something that i've just been fascinated with all my life and and i'm still seeking after you know there's there's so many different interpretations and ways this that you can approach these stories yeah i completely agree with you and that that same sort of liminal period i agree where you know between the between time it, it just definitely seems like really intriguing as as well um yeah yeah that in, in fact that's one of the things that made to me made uh the whole beowulf poem so fascinating was it was this sort of same sort of period of you know, one's going out, another one's coming in. And yeah. um, I found that endlessly in- interesting in the way it's portrayed. For sure. I think we all like gravitate towards certain themes or symbols or motifs. And for whatever reason, just chivalry, orders of knighthood, and the grail, you know, these are all subjects that I just seem to be irresistibly kind of drawn to. It's what I often meditate on when I'm in contemplation and it's really what I draw a lot of my inspiration and spirituality from, like these kind of currents that kind of run through the stream of Western tradition. Yeah, absolutely. So there's another area I think that we share some interest in, although it may not be quite as strong as the Grail mythos. But um, I think there's... Like I, de- I have a definite interest or leaning in ter- or in terms of like I would how would I put this? Uh, I would characterize Western esotericism as the continuation of a perennial tradition that you know basically from my perspective stretches back into antiquity before there was any such thing as history or possibly even um, writing at our language. I don't know. Yeah. And I think this way of seeing necessarily includes some, like respect or veneration for what has come before. I mean, and certainly in terms of what had come before and has worked anyway. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe you could say more about this. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've always been fascinated, obviously, in, in history. Um, that's kind of my major focus of study. Ever since I was quite young, I was into Medieval history in particular is kind of my my passion. Um, I never went to school formally for it, but it's something that I've I've 
dived into since a very young age. But I almost think what we're talking about here is is a lot of themes that are touched upon in in some of the traditionalist school of philosophy. You know, I, I guess I started getting into that stuff when I first read uh, Revolt Against the Modern World, which is Julius Evola's famous book in my early 20s. And that really kind of blew my mind at the time. Um, and I think what I related to in traditionalist philosophy was its kind of inherent dissatisfaction, really, with our current modern age, you know, which is something that I've always felt, you know, this feeling of being out of place in this age of materialism and this kind of hearkening back, I guess, to a golden age, to a time when we were perhaps more in touch with authentic streams of tradition to the divine, that sort of thing. Um, so I went on to read uh, some of Rene Guignon's books. I was absolutely hooked on him. Um, I really like him because he doesn't get mired in some of the kind of political dalliances that some of his contemporaries did, but uh, he always keeps it focused on the spiritual, which I really like. Um, I always enjoyed his explanations of the cycles of history. So these kind of what's known as the, the yugas in the Vedic scriptures, this sort of theory of how we are approaching or are living in this Kali Yuga, this dark age, and just his explanation on the importance of tradition and reconnecting with it, you know, just all kind of really blew me away. And it really formed a strong basis for a lot of my own philosophies. Um, you know, I, as much as I appreciate traditionalism, however, I, you know, I wouldn't go as far as to call myself a traditionalist or subscribe completely to those theories, but just because I find that, you know, if that's your only perspective on things, it does tend to get a little bit dour in a way. It can become very, very restrictive, unfortunately, just because so much of it is this constant analysis of everything that's wrong with our, our modern society. So I think if that's all that defines you, I, that's kind of depressing. But yeah, I will say that traditionalist thought has certainly inspired me and I connect to it really strongly, but I do recognize its limitations. I I don't call calling myself a traditionalist per se. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree. I, I certainly say I enjoyed the writings of Rene Guénon a, a lot. Uh, not so much um, Evola's. I think I think they they had something interesting to to say. And again, I wouldn't call myself a traditionalist, but I wouldn't call myself. I wouldn't label myself much of anything yeah. uh, at this point. Freemason, I feel comfortable with. Yeah, I'm with you there. <laughs> <laughs> so, but but Freemasonry kind of inherently has a respect for its own tradition, certainly, yeah. in a way. Sure. So I appreciate that as one aspect of it. And it's easy to do that. And it's, and it doesn't have to be, like you said, you don't have to get like mired in any particular view or label uh, because you're right. That can be kind of uh, constricting and that's not what we're trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's definitely something that I've enjoyed in Freemasonry as well. I mean, there's so much there, but just the, how they place such great importance on tradition. Um, you know, I'm lucky enough to belong to a lodge that really tries to keep the past traditions going and, and really practice the the ritual in its purest form and make sure that it's preserved in that form uh, for future generations. I think that's really important because human beings kind of have this tendency to want to tinker with things and, and adapt it for their, their own purposes and put their own flair on things. But I think what makes Freemasonry so special and unique is it's managed against all odds to be preserved in its original form. So, you know, very few changes were ever made to the, the core ritual. So I think there's something really important about that and, and it's worth preserving and carrying forward so that other people in the future can enjoy the same benefits of these rituals. It's almost like they're these like sealed capsules. It's not really up to us to innovate them. We're just kind of working these systems and being obedient to the standards that were set in place long before us. And I think they were set in place very intentionally by 
brethren who who knew what they were doing. You know, so much threads of knowledge were kind of preserved and captured within Masonic ritual. You know, you can find Kabbalistic and astrological and hermetic wisdom kind of encoded in these ceremonies. So I think that was a very intentional thing. So, and this is kind of like our, our holy grail in a way of Freemasonry. This is the treasure that Freemasons dedicate themselves to protect and to, to really to keep this incredible ritual that we have. And I think it's important to view ourselves as the custodians of this treasure. We just need to be able to transmit it on in its purest form. Yeah, I would totally agree with with that. Yeah, that that is the most eloquent way I could I've heard it uh, put in terms of the why like tradition and Freemasonry is like actually so important. So thank you. Um well, one thing I, I want to talk about before we go too far is uh, we have talked about an upcoming project that we are going to do for uh, the Chamber of Reflection. Well, at least the, the first one will be, I think, available for anyone. And after that in the Chamber of Reflection, then this is a sort of chapter-by-chapter analysis going through meditations on the tarot Mm. and i'm really excited about this and uh because because that book has always stood out to me as one of the most interesting and really crucial texts in terms of esoteric christianity and the way that it's able to translate tarot symbolism into mystical view and maybe methods a little bit is just really amazing and unique in terms of esoteric books, I think. Absolutely, yeah. I know we've talked a lot about this this project for, for a while now, and and I'm obviously very, very excited about it, um, just because this book had such a an impact on me personally. And it's it's a very dense, a very deep book. I think it's it's a spiritual and a philosophical book. You know, a lot of people look at the cover and they think, oh, it's you know, it's a book on the tarot, but you know, it has very little to do with tarot as a, a system of divination, and it's more like this fast, deep, multifaceted kind of esoteric work that really defies categorization. It's just, it's, it's this complete, almost like the system of, of spiritual exercises that, that he guides you through chapter by chapter using the tarot cards as, as a kind of motif. Um, but yeah, I can't speak highly enough about the the effects it's had on me personally, how it's led me into a deep dive into the world of Christian mysticism, which was something that, that I got into kind of later in my life. Um, but I think it's, it kind of stands in this tradition of really Renaissance Christianity, this kind of synthesis of Christian, Jewish, you know, even pagan philosophy and all these things just coming together in, in one place. It's just, it's just a beautiful thing. Yeah, super excited about this this project and where it's going to lead us. Yeah, I am as well. Uh, I, uh, yeah, again, that that book is quite amazing, and I, you, yeah, you you expressed it in the way it affected you. Um, it certainly had a pretty huge impact on me, yeah. and um, I'm really looking forward to being able to go through it in a more methodical way um, where we can like actually document it and like talk about it and explore what it's saying and what it, and the meaning of it. And uh, because I think it, it really leads to some pretty radical conclusions. Absolutely. Yeah. This is not something that you, you skim through. This is something that you savor. And you just have to digest it slowly and just kind of take your time. You, you really have to integrate it. 
Um, and it has this wonderful effect, uh, at least for me personally. I, I just found that it really illuminates and kind of affects your life as you go through these exercises, really. Um, I've never really had any experience before or since with, with the book. I've, I've read it several times now, but I just reach new new heights every time that I, I pick it up. There's just new new gems to uncover there. So I I hope the listeners will join us in this adventure. I think it's gonna be it's gonna be super enlightening. And we're definitely gonna roll out more details as to to how the process is gonna go, but it's gonna be a slow, methodical kind of working through it chapter by chapter. Yeah. Yeah. And that and that is the idea behind it is that that the listeners will join us on this journey. At least, I mean, whoever's interested, obviously. But um, hopefully, uh, it'll be enticing enough that uh, we'll get some people to come along with us and read the book, sort of chapter by chapter, and, and sort of analyze it with us. And um, you know, depending on how it goes, I think we can. It's it won't just be you and I talking. You know, there'll be there'll be others joining us and. Um, yeah, I, I think that this is a book that merits that sort of exploration. Mm-hmm. Um, so it doesn't have to be rushed. Like you said, it can be savored. Yeah. You know, it's the, the great thing about this book as well is that it directs you towards so many other great, great works as well. Like I always kind of had a dream of, building up a library just from all the different authors that that he cites in this work um so many important i think voices in western philosophy and mm. theology you know he you know through this book i could discover people like thomas aquinas you know mm. peladon you know rudolf steiner saint john of the cross mm. you know he just opens up all these different doors kind of that, that you travel through so it's really this you know, I, I don't like to use the word self-initiation, but it's definitely this this kind of uh, series of insights and kind of connected uh, spiritual exercises for me. Yeah, it's beautiful because, like, you're right. It, it, and I see it that way. Like, every chapter is like a doorway into the vast mystery of whatever this is. And uh, you're right, he introduces not only his own insights, but those of some of the greatest minds of Western philosophy and theology. And you really, it's not just, uh, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but when you're reading it, it's not just that you're getting information or knowledge uh, you you have a sense that the writer is actually living what he is saying. Do you, is that right? Absolutely, yeah. And yeah, I totally agree. It's like you're not passively kind of reading the words of the author. He's speaking to you as as an unknown friend, as he calls it. So, and you get this feeling all throughout the book that he's kind of reminding you that you're in the presence of of others who are kind of acting in in concert. Like I had this strong feeling, I don't want to get too into the weeds here, but I had this strong feeling that you're attended by this host of the saints and the angels and the elementals, you know, all kind of bearing witness. You know, he talks about it in, in the book, this kind of calling forth of the, the masters of tradition because they're all present to us there. So it's kind of the same vocation to, it's this whole spiritual community that he's invoking. And I think it's a really special quality of the book. Yeah, I, I completely agree. So, yeah, we'll have a lot more details on that going forward. Uh, but that is happening and really looking forward to it. And we'll, we'll let people know more as it develops. But um, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun, I, th- I think. I'm really excited. Me too. I think before we... Uh, wrap up i wanted to ask you in terms of your own sort of esoteric interests beyond what we've already discussed tonight 
what are some of the themes or traditions or topics or teachers or authors that you personally enjoy and would like to explore more of? For sure. Maybe it would be useful just to talk a little bit about how my esoteric journey began. Just to yeah, provide if some, you'd be some willing context, to, yeah. that would be wonderful. For sure, yeah. I can talk a little bit about that. Um, so where to start? I guess. I guess I mean I've always been interested in what you could term the the supernatural. I guess from from a really young age, you know, I was really reading anything I could get my hands on about the paranormal, you know, the unexplained, and later on, kind of graduating to more serious books on the occult and magical studies. So it's been kind of a progression over the the years for me. Um, I grew up in a home that was extremely fundamentalist, very evangelical Christian. My parents belonged to a kind of extreme offshoot of the Seventh-day Adventist church. So we lived in a kind of commune, I guess you could call it, uh, just in the middle of the desert there in Colorado. And I call it a commune because it was a very closed community, so we weren't allowed to kind of come and go as we pleased. So you can imagine it was a restrictive way to spend your childhood. Um, so I grew up with this very legalistic kind of fundamentalist interpretation of the Bible, I guess. Um, there was no room for allegorical or nuanced interpretation of, of scripture. Uh, it was a pretty harsh, oppressive worldview. Um, so we spent a lot of time, you know, intensively memorizing the Bible and studying prophecy and and really preparing for the end times, this kind of apocalyptic worldview. Um, you know, any sort of secular entertainment was strictly banned, so we didn't have any sort of television or video games. You know, it was all very, like, homeschooled and raising our own crops and that sort of thing. So it was an interesting childhood, to say the least. Um, but I guess, you know, books and reading really became my refuge. You know, I started reading voraciously at, at a really young age. I used to escape to the little library that we had there and I would just read constantly, you know, any books I could get my hands on history and ancient and medieval history were, were my thing. And that continues to be something that I study. Um, but I spent a lot of my time just in libraries, you know, studying my, my favorite topics, which turned out to be history and the paranormal and the occult. So I think in hindsight, you know, I think a lot of my interest in the occult and magic and that sort of thing probably stemmed from, this kind of repressive childhood that I grew up with and, and this sense of being powerless, I guess. It's probably just my way of wanting to take back some level of control over my life. So, you know, you have to remember that the internet was still in its infancy back then. So books on the occult was pretty limited, but I kind of read anything I could get my hands on. And parapsychology, you know, ESP, you know, ghosts, demonology, you name it. So... I guess getting into my teen years, I started to kind of rebel against my my very domineering Christian upbringing. So, you know, the more my church warned us about the dangers of witchcraft, you know, the more I became fascinated by it, of course. So this was during the height of the satanic panic kind of years. So like any self-respecting teenager back then, I went out to my local bookstore and I bought a copy of the paperback Necronomicon. And I read it all and fancied myself as some sort of a a magician, but you know, it was all done in kind of a spirit of rebellion and sort of glorying in the transgressive nature of it, I guess. So I butted heads with my parents a lot. Um, I ended up leaving home at a young age. Um, I wanted nothing more to do with the church or Christianity. Um, I broke away from it and really went through a bit of a dark time. I, you know, got involved in some addiction issues and that sort of thing back then and ended up almost homeless a few times. Um, but I really think it was just my way of kind of unraveling from all the trauma that, that I had in my upbringing. And, you know, it's really hard to adjust to the outside world after you've been raised in that kind of isolation, I guess. So I don't want this to become a long ramble about my life story, but suffice to say, I guess, you know, I, I never lost my interest in, in these things. You know, my, my tastes and my, my reading definitely matured over the years, I'm happy to say. But over time, my readings began to kind of evolve into what could be termed as the Western esoteric tradition, I guess. I began to read a lot of books on Freemasonry, on alchemy, 
Rosicrucianism, um, just anything that had more of a spiritual and philosophical bent to it. So I did go on to join Freemasonry, actually, after becoming interested in it. Um, I kind of studied it from the sidelines for for many years before I, I eventually made the leap. And, you know, in hindsight, it was really the best thing I could have done for myself. I really feel like it brought together kind of all the elements that that I was so passionate about, you know, my love for history and ritual and tradition and the esoteric elements and mythology. It kind of brought it all into one system. And I, I really found my place within Freemasonry. I really found kind of my, my tribe, as it were, and I really thrived uh, within Freemasonry. It's been a blessing for me, and it's definitely a big part of who I am. I guess bringing that to uh, the present day, just to kind of sum up my esoteric fields of interest, um, you know, I've, I've always been heavily influenced by anything Templar-related. I'm definitely fascinated by, you know, the mysticism of knightly orders of chivalry. I think we mentioned Grail and Arthurian mythology, um, contemplative spirituality, sacred magic, Christian mysticism. Well, these are all subjects that I study a lot and I always seem to be kind of drawn back to these themes. These these are just kind of my my inspirations. They have been for a long time. So that's kind of a broad overview of, of my interests, I'd say. Thank you so much for sharing. If you don't mind me asking, um, do you have any sense of, and I'm, I'm asking this because, you know, I had a, you know, I'm not, I couldn't compare my own upbringing with yours, but um, for a time, uh, you know, from probably age 10 to about 14, I was, uh, my parents sent me to a very uh, sort of fundamentalist uh, religious school. And it, it was, it wasn't anything on the level of what you're talking about, but I found that my interest later on in the esoteric had this effect of giving a much different and deeper meaning to what I had gone through as a child in a way that I never could have anticipated when I was a child. Um, and I'm just wondering if you had any sort of similar experience. Yeah, I would say so for sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, just as restrictive as my childhood was, it did give me a lot of, I, I guess you could say, kind of strange advantages that a lot of kids my age didn't have. You know, I wasn't distracted by outside media, you know, video games, that sort of thing. You know, I was just, you know, focused really on, you know, self-education and, and study from a young age. So it gave me that kind of, uh, that kind of drive, I guess. Um, and also didn't make me, because it was such a, a solitary childhood in many ways, we, we moved around a lot all over the country. Um, so I didn't have a lot of friends. So it allowed me just to depend on myself a lot more and that sort of thing. But um, yeah, it's weird. I mean, as much as it initially soured my perception of, of Christianity in particular, um, against all odds, amazingly enough, I was kind of drawn back much later in my life um, through my own personal spiritual practice, just uh, to the Christian path again, you know, through my own understanding, uh, this time through the Catholic tradition. It's kind of a long story. I won't get into the whole thing, but I met a very wise and patient Jesuit priest just kind of at the right time in my life. And he went on to become a kind of mentor and, and I would say a spiritual master almost. And he and I worked through a lot of my questions and misgivings and I ended up working under him for, for two years of kind of intensive study, which was challenging, but, but it was really good for me. You know, I ended up falling in love with the contemplative and mystical practices of, of Catholicism. And it was a total eye opener for me. I mean, it was really unexpected to say the least. Um, but I felt very at peace for the first time with, with this path. And I always say kind of tongue in cheek that I took the same route as Valentin Tomberg 
the great mystic and Christian hermeticist. You know, he started off studying the occult and the esoteric and being involved in all these different magical orders. And then later on in his life, he kind of led him full circle back to to the church and he became this great Christian mystic. So it's funny how these things work out. You know, I definitely identify more as a, you know, I don't like labels, but a Christian hermeticist, I guess you could say, more so than an average kind of mainstream conservative parishioner, if that makes sense. But yeah, it's definitely another piece of my identity. It's part of who I am today. Thank you. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, it's interesting the way life kind of takes us on that journey mm-hmm. or the divine, probably better description of it. Yeah. And it's never the way that you, that you intend it to be. It's often these, I think true spirituality isn't always comfortable. It confronts you. You run up against it in many ways. It, it never kind of dovetails nicely with your existing philosophies. I, I think when you can, when you find an, an actual somebody who's experienced some sort of gnosis or a spiritual master can often be a a big surprise and and a challenge just trying to trying to align yourself with it but i think it's a necessary part a necessary kind of jumping off point that you need to take yeah it, that that seems to be the case um not everybody recognizes that so I appreciate that you do. It's a difficult thing sometimes. And it doesn't seem like it should be, you know? Mm-hmm. But that's how I feel. Like, it doesn't seem like it should be difficult, yet it is. So I know that you kind of had a similar journey in a way, discovering a spiritual path kind of later, later in your life and coming up against it and it challenging you in many ways. So I think that's kind of a kinship that that we share as well yeah Um, for sure it's two different ways of of approaching the same thing Mm -hmm. yeah i think that that to me was um the most difficult revelation that not only was i going to have to work but i was going to have to work harder than i'd ever worked on anything or could or would ever work on anything else. Yeah. And that was a tough one. Yeah. I'm still dealing with that. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. But you know, anything worthwhile worth doing is, is going to require that kind of hard work and yeah, that kind of breaking keep, up of your, your, your ego really. Yeah. Keep putting in that work. That's right. But anything in life that, is worthwhile you're gonna to have to put in work so you might as well make it what you want absolutely let's see i don't know if there's anything else um what are what are just briefly some of the topics that you like to lecture on in freemasonry yeah for sure um i did a kind of a three-part lecture on uh just kind of decoding uh, Gothic cathedrals. That's something that I've been super interested in um, for a long time. And just looking at cathedrals as this kind of living uh, library or a record of like alchemical, hermetic, um, so much sacred knowledge just contained within these buildings. These kind of like repositories of, of information and how we can interpret them. Um, so that's something that's always fascinated me. I um, also did a, a recent lecture for the Scottish Rite, which I'm involved with, um, on you know Freemasonry as a authentic tradition, kind of what I was talking about, how the Holy Grail that we protect as knights of Freemasonry is our ritual and our traditions and just the importance of preserving it in its purest form so that we can pass it on to the, to the next generation. Um, so that was the one that I always enjoy. And I kind of tie in some traditionalist ideas about the different cycles of history. And it's kind of a broad ranging uh, talk that I give. Um, so yeah, just generally, um, you know, usually the, the Templars get mentioned in there somewhere <laughs> along the way. Um, and usually I come at it from a my background in medieval history and 
that sort of thing. So yeah, these are all topics that, that I love to, to pursue. That's super interesting. I think to me anyway, and I'm sure to a lot of other people, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I've always had an interest in a lot of those topics. Um, I remember taking classes in medieval cathedrals and um, castle building, and um, and I did major in medieval studies in school. So that's great. Got my master's. So yeah, it was. I love the whole subject, the chivalry, the knightly orders, the quest, the whole history of like the crusades and inquisitions. Yeah. I just find it endlessly fascinating to go down, down that rabbit hole. Yeah. And you know, Gothic cathedrals alone, there's just so many, so many mysteries there that are just waiting to be discovered. Like, could just go on and on just looking at the mysterious like these these labyrinths that they have inside of gothic cathedrals mm-hmm. and what mm-hmm. that significance could be i mean that's that's a whole lecture right there and just yep. decoding the you know alchemical carvings and stuff that are, are in the front of these churches like people like her you know you have hermes showing up you have um out you know actual gargoyles that that are patterned after alchemists like what are they doing there kind of thing so it's fascinating how all these different traditions are kind of trapped within um within these cathedrals it's almost like prehistoric like when they find the the chunk of prehistoric amber and you see those those insects that are trapped inside of it these these older traces of things that almost shouldn't be in a cathedral but they're there and and why are they there so that's just yeah, endlessly fascinating to me. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, we, it's, it is probably a good time to wrap it up at this point. Sure. I want to thank you again for joining us, uh, both tonight and generally speaking. I mean, I'm really thrilled to have you on board, and uh, I appreciate you sharing your interests and opinions and uh your path with us uh and i'm really looking forward to these uh future interviews and and certainly the exploration of meditations on the tarot that's going to be mm-hmm. tremendous likewise yeah yeah so thank you Thanks again so much for for having me on the show and it's just been great this conversation and just uh I really look forward to to learning uh, in the co-pilot seat and just uh, hopefully being able to exchange ideas back and forth. This is going to be great. So I'm super excited about it. And thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you. One of the topics Billy and I discussed is the book Meditations on the Tarot, as it has had a significant impact on both of us. This text is subtitled A Journey into Christian Hermeticism, and it demonstrates a contemplative method for direct apperception of divine wisdom through the symbolism of the major arcana of the tarot. We are forming a study circle for this book to go through it in depth. More details about the study circle are available in the recording of the initial meeting. That meeting and all future meetings will be recorded and made available for members in the Chamber of Reflection at chamberofreflection.com. And I'd like to remind you that although you're able to listen to this podcast at no charge, it costs time and money to create. We ask you to support our efforts in the creation of future podcasts by joining the membership section at chamberofreflection.com or subscribing via Patreon at patreon.com slash occult of personality. And if you're already supporting the show or have done so in the past, my heartfelt thanks, and I salute you.